The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, I think we're ready now. Uh, uh, tonight, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. Familiar passage of Scripture, and you probably can quote that without any problem. And this is one of the key verses that we're using in our study of church history. And it's the promise that Christ gave that ensures that we would have church history as a subject that we can actually talk about. Now, during his ministry, Christ chose 12 men, and he called them to be his apostles. They were the building blocks of his first church. They were men who were born again, baptized, and in fellowship with one another around the doctrines that Christ taught them. And so Jesus said, I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we find this doctrine that we're studying perpetuity or the fact that the church is going to continue in the last part of that verse, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so that's a promise that we can find the church in every age, the true church, and it will remain here until Christ comes personally to take it out of this world at the second coming. And though the church is often assailed, often persecuted, the devil fights hard against it, yet the Bible promises, Christ promises, that it will not cease to exist. Now, interestingly, the church also has an otherworldly existence. Uh, this is indicated by the rite of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, where he said, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, there you see that there is going to be an assembly in heaven that's called the church. And that's actually what we call the church in prospect. It doesn't exist as a church there now. But when Jesus comes back and he takes his people out of this world, we'll all be gathered together and all that have been a part of the church in, in this time will be a part of that great assembly when we get to heaven. Now, in our study of church history, we rest upon that promise that without doubt that we can find this church that Christ began. It's not hidden away. It hasn't gone underground. It hasn't lost the truth. But we can find assemblies of believers today that are still holding to New Testament doctrine, some core essential doctrines that establish their connection to this church that Christ began. Now, this morning in our class, our forum class, I listed those doctrines for you again as we had a question about this. And we also went over it last, uh, last Sunday night. And just very briefly, those four doctrines are salvation by grace through faith alone. We're justified by grace through faith. Believer's baptism, that's the second one, believer's baptism by immersion. The third is scripture alone as the all-sufficient source, the divine revelation. And then the fourth one is uh, soul liberty. And that means that the church membership is not maintained by compulsion. Now, we don't have a compulsive church membership. And all four of those have to be characteristic 
of the church that claims to be the true church. You can't leave any of those out. You need all four of those to be a true church. Now, we maintain that there have been churches throughout the centuries that uh, have held to those doctrines, still adhering to these core doctrines. And although they might be an heir on other doctrines, yet on these four, they could never be an heir and still be true churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as you can see, uh, those four doctrines will rule out a lot of people that are going under the name church today. And we mentioned uh, many of those last week. They can't, they can't claim to have begun with Christ because they don't hold on to those doctrines. So in ruling out those churches and then using these four core doctrines as the criteria for the search, that's what we look for uh, as we look for the church in history. And we would expect that we would find it because that's what Matthew 16:18 tells us. We will find the true church existing among all these others that are actually false churches. And as we look at the church down through history, we'll find that it's not always called by the same name. Uh, it goes under many different names. And it's not really the name anyway that makes us cohesive, but it's the doctrine that we believe. It's what we teach as a church. And an interesting, peculiar trait of these churches is that they were often called by names of those that were false churches. So you have a mixing of those two, both going under the same names because our enemies named us for the most part. And so if we have some kind of a doctrine that differs from them, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, they group everybody together under all these false doctrines when actually the true churches of the Lord Jesus Christ never own the doctrines for which they're accused. And so what we have to do is we have to separate out those false doctrines from the true as we look through, church, uh, through history. And that can be a difficult thing for us to do, or at least it increases the difficulty of the task. So what we do then is we take those churches that claim to be true and we peel away the false doctrines that they have been accused of. And there we find the core doctrines that are still being held to. Now, to give you an example of that, there's a, a people that has existed for a long time called the Anabaptist. And we talked a little bit about it last week, but Anna means rebaptizers. Anabaptists are rebaptizers. But there are many that were called Anabaptists who weren't true churches. And so we have to look at that. And again, I said we have to peel off all those layers of the false to find the true. Then finally, uh, in history, the Anna was dropped from that, and then we were simply known as Baptist. And the ones that are known as Baptist, after that Anna was taken off and the false layers are peeled off, are the churches that believe like Berean Baptist Church does today. Now, a remarkable thing about these churches as they come down through history is how that they have, have been so consistent in their doctrine. And not always the four core doctrines that I'm talking about, but other doctrines as well. And that's been especially true here in our country. Uh, in the founding of the United States, uh, back at the, you know, in the 1700s, there, the churches that were known as Baptist, almost all of them unanimously agreed to one confession of faith. And that was the Philadelphia Confession of Faith of 1742. Almost all the churches adhered to that. Well, in the time since then, many Baptist churches, in fact, probably most Baptist churches, have gone away from that confession because of its strong stand on the doctrines of grace. 
so they have abandoned it. But those churches that have abandoned the doctrines of grace have not abandoned the four core doctrines that we're talking about. And so they still remain to be true churches. But one thing that you need to understand is when you abandon the doctrines of grace, then you're also going to have trouble holding on to the core doctrines. That's going to be a difficult thing to do. And so uh, what's happened then with many of those churches that went away from the doctrines of grace, they ended up in universalism. And that happens to be the inevitable outcome, the logical outcome for someone who doesn't believe in the doctrines of grace. But here at Berean, we, we support almost in its entirety what is taught in the Philadelphia Confession of Faith of 1742. And we have adopted it in a little bit different form which is the New Hampshire Confession of Faith of 1833. Well, to, to go back to where I left off last week, I, I promised that I would give you some quotations from some various denominational sources that claim that there were people that believe like we as Baptists do today all the way back to the time of Christ. That is, believe like Baptists, believe like Berean Baptist Church believes. Historians of other faiths admit that there were people like us all the way back to the time of Christ. So that is just a, a tacit admission that we did not begin with Catholicism and that we didn't begin with anyone else. We didn't begin with Protestantism uh, because to be a true church, we couldn't be linked to either the Catholics or the Protestant churches because they started too late. They couldn't be the true church of Christ. They have human founders. And this idea then that Baptist churches can be traced all the way back to the first century is not a figment of our imagination. That's not something that I made up. This is something that historians have said, and I'm talking about historians of denominational churches. Now, it's sad to say that for most people, the information that I want to talk to you about tonight, or even church history in general, is not all that important to them. They don't really care about such things. They couldn't care uh, they don't care about going back and looking at the history of the church or their own church. And that's why you have groups like Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, and all of those that rise up through the centuries and are still coming up because they're not interested in the historicity of their church. That's not all that important to them. But I don't know about you, I can't take that position. I mean, I, I want to be a member of the church that Christ started. I want to find out what that church is. I want to believe the same doctrines that Christ and the apostles taught. And so I'm very interested in the history of the church that I belong to. And I think you probably are as well, or you wouldn't have gathered here tonight to hear uh, these, th this message that I'm going to bring and the others as well. And so before we begin this search through history, we need to look at what historians of other faiths have said about us. What admissions have they made? And that's important information uh, to know because we make no claims that haven't been made by others, even those who would have an axe to grind against us. So let's look at the statements of historians. And I don't really know why there isn't more attention paid to what, uh, by present historians, to what historians said in the past. Uh, those that were chief enemies of Baptist people have said that we existed largely intact from the time that Christ founded the church. And although now they, they might consider us to be a swarm of pesky pests that need to be getting rid, gotten rid of, yet those people still admit that we did exist back to Christ. And what makes it terribly confounding is when you have people, good men, like, like John MacArthur, 
who said not to let anybody tell you that Baptists are not Protestants. And when he says that, he's at odds with many good historians of the past. And so I'll tell you, it's a good thing that a knowledge of history is not what you need in order to get into heaven because there'd be a lot fewer people going to heaven than we might think. So we don't have to know the history of the church to get to heaven, but this is a good thing to know whether you know the, believe the truth or not. Now, the first quote that I'd like to give you, I think, is, is one that's very, very interesting. This comes from a man by the name of Cardinal Hosius. Uh, he was a, in the Roman Catholic Church, and he was a very high-ranking Roman Catholic official. He was a cardinal. Now, we know that the Catholic Church uh, is an avowed enemy of Baptist. And we also know that the Roman Catholic Church has never changed its stance towards anyone that agrees with, disagrees with them. Now, we don't care, we, we care very little for what Pope Francis has to say. And we don't care a whole lot about his congeniality towards all heresies known to man. We still know that it is the official Roman Catholic Church position to maintain a mechanism for another inquisition. Now, the Catholic Church has never dismissed the right to torture anybody for disagreeing with them. And uh, I don't know what you feel about it, but I think that given half the chance, the Roman Catholic Church would start that again. And the reason I think that it's true is because they're going to be a part of this huge religious machine of the Antichrist when he comes. And if you want to know more about what they're going to do, read Revelation chapter 17 and you'll find them there. So in 1554, Hosius, this Roman Catholic cardinal, uh, was presiding at the Council of Trent. And he made a remarkable statement about Baptist. Now, just to fill you in a little bit on the Council of Trent, uh, that was convened in, in 1554 chiefly to condemn Protestants. You see, at that time, the Protestants were beginning to gain inroads into the, the faith of people, and uh, many people were turning away from the Roman Catholic Church. And so the Catholic Church said, well, this thing needs to be stopped. And so they called this council to condemn these Protestants. And they condemned them over differences of doctrine, like justification by faith alone. They condemned them over their opposition to sacraments as a means of salvation, and also their refusal to accept traditions of the church to be equal or above Scripture. And I think that it's interesting, while addressing those concerns about Protestants, that, that Hosius made a distinction between them and the Baptist. And he admitted the antiquity of Baptists long before there was a Reformation. Now, this is the comment that he made. He said, Were it not for the fact that the Anabaptists had been grievously tormented and cut off with the knife during the past 1,200 years, they would swarm greater than all the Reformers. If the truth of religion were to be judged by the readiness and boldness of which a man or any sect shows in suffering then the opinions and persuasions of no sect can be truer and surer than those of the Anabaptists, since there have been none for the 1,200 years past that have been more generally punished or that have been more cheerfully and steadfastly undergone and have offered themselves to the most cruel sort of punishment than these people. Now, there is a very strange admission for a Roman Catholic to make and it bodes in our favor when he says, the opinions and persuasions of no sect can be truer and surer than those of the Anabaptists. 
Now there he's not saying that the Anabaptist beliefs are true because he didn't think they were. But what he's saying, he's speaking about the consistency of the doctrine that they've held for hundreds of years. And what are those doctrines? Well, they would be the former essentials that I gave you. The ones we talked about at the beginning. The four core list of doctrines. Now, the remarkable part of that is the oddity that those who are bound by heresies are more often splintered than they are cohesive. Now, false doctrine comes in many different forms, and those that are holding on to false doctrines don't really hold out very long, not under persecution, and undergoes, uh, false doctrines go, undergo many different changes, uh, and they fade out as the leaders of those false doctrines are killed. Now, they might be resurrected at a later time, but they don't remain consistent. And so if you have a group that throughout the centuries is constant in the persecution, under this heavy persecution all of the time and under the threats of more, and yet they maintain the very same doctrines, that can only be done by an act of God. And that's what Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so here this cardinal says for 1,200 years previous to that time of the Council of Trent, these were people that were still holding on to the very same doctrines. Now on the other hand, if you look at Roman Catholicism and see how consistent that they have been, you see how they modify and you see how they shift and how they adapt in their doctrine and they embrace just about anything that they have to to maintain control. And so what you have is this constantly changing Catholic Church. It invents doctrines when it needs them. It sheds doctrines when it doesn't need them any longer. And that's what happens when you put church tradition above Scripture. You have to have that kind of a doctrine. You must put it above Scripture because there is no other way you could ever change things. You see, when we believe that the Scripture alone is our authority, then we can never change. We can't adapt to meet somebody's feelings about things and what they believe about things because the Word of God has been settled in heaven. And so we can't change what we believe if we're going by the Word of God. The Word of God is as sure as God himself. And so that's why we have remained the same, because we have stuck to the Bible. Now there's a second quote that comes from another Roman Catholic, and he was a leader in the Inquisition. And just to back up for a moment, if you don't understand what the, what the Inquisition is, that was a formal tribunal that was formed by the uh, Roman Catholic Church against those who were in opposition to them. And what they did was they would find these people that disagree and they would wring confessions out of them and recantations out of them. And short of that, if they weren't able to do it, then they would torture those people to death. Now, this quote comes from Rainerius around 1250 A.D. He was a Roman Catholic. Now, he lived in the 13th century. And uh, if you know your history, you can see that that is about 300 years before the Protestant Reformation. And Rainerius brought a list of charges against a group of people that's known as the Waldenses. These are people that lived in the northern Alps in Italy and also in southern France. And... Uh, most interestingly, I think about them is that they were believers in the doctrines of grace. And this was long before Calvin or Luther ever came on the scene. I, I had a conversation with someone just a day or two ago that told me that Calvin was the inventor of those doctrines. 
Calvin was not the inventor of those doctrines. They go back to the Apostle Paul. And this group of people, the Waldenses, who are forerunners of Baptist people today, they believed in the doctrines of grace. Now, the, the list of charges against them is very interesting because by stating the negatives, we're able to discover what their doctrinal position was. Were they actual heretics? Well, Rome said that they were, and these are the charges that were made against them. First, they said that there was no true pope. And they said that offices and dignities are not suitable for preachers. In other words, that was a slam against the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. They said that the Pope's pardons were a cheat. And what they were talking about there was the absolution of sin that's granted by the priest, the indulgences, and so on. And by saying that those, those acts of the Pope were a cheat, his pardons were a cheat, they were affirming justification by faith alone. They said that purgatory was a fable. And they said that going on pilgrimages served no purpose. Now, that was interesting to me. Uh, when we, Gary and I went to uh, Israel a few years ago, I had people all the time asking me about my pilgrimage. So that was kind of interesting to me. Uh, the Waldensi said that holy water is no better than rainwater. Now, you don't want to let that information get out to Peter Popoff because I think he's still selling Miracle Spring Water or something. They said that prayer in a barn, prayer in a barn is just as effectual as prayer in a church. And then listen to this. They said that, or, or they made fun of transubstantiation. Now, that's the Roman Catholic doctrine where they take the elements that are in the Lord's Supper, the, the bread and the wine, and they change it, they believe, into the real literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. And these Waldensies said, that's not true. And then they said something that was even bolder. They said that Rome is the harlot of the apocalypse. Now, folks, it's hard to find a Baptist today who will still say that. Rather, Baptists today would want to hold hands with the Pope and march with him to the apocalypse. But they said Rome is the harlot of the apocalypse. Now, do you notice something about those charges? They sound a lot like us, don't they? It sounds like the things I'm preaching to you just about every week. And so we wonder, are the Waldenses of the 11th and 12th century, are those the Baptists today? You know, our enemies say that they were. So why don't we? Well, they are the same people. Now, so those are the charges that were brought against the Waldenses. Now, listen to what Rainerius said as he laments the task of trying to stamp out these heretics. And he places them not in the 11th and the 12th centuries, but he places them much, much further back, all the way to the time of Christ and the apostles. Here's what he said. Among all the sects that either are or have been, there is none more detrimental to the Roman Catholic Church than the Leonist. Now that means the people of Lyon, France, and those are the same as the Waldenses. It is the sect that is of the longest standing of any, for some say it has existed since the time of the apostles. It is the most general of all sects. For scarcely is there any country to be found where this sect has not been embraced. And we would expect that, wouldn't we? Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So you expect to find them everywhere. 
This sect has a great appearance of godliness since they live righteously before all men, believe all that God has said, and maintain all the articles contained in the Sibylum. Now, the Sibylum is their 12 articles of faith. So, here we found believers before the Reformation. We found believers older than the Reformers and also older than the Roman Catholics. Now, going further, we have a quote from Jonathan Edwards. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was a, in the Congregational Church, and many people believe that Ed, Edwards was the greatest theologian that America has ever produced. Now, he wasn't a Baptist. He was a Puritan that came up through the ranks of Protestant churches. And as I said, he was in the Congregational Church, and that was back before the Congregationalists became Universalists. So he wrote this about the, these very same Waldenses. This is what he said. In every age of this dark time, there appeared particular persons in all parts of Christendom who bore a testimony against the corruptions and tyranny of the Church of Rome. Ecclesiastical historians mention many by name who manifested an abhorrence to the Pope and his idolatrous worship and pleaded for the ancient purity of doctrine and worship. God was pleased to maintain an uninterrupted succession of witnesses through the whole time in Germany, France, Britain, and other countries, private persons and ministers, some magistrates and persons of great distinction. And there were numbers in every age who were persecuted and put to death for this testimony. Besides these particular persons dispersed, there was a certain people called the Waldenses who lived separate from all the rest of the world and constantly bore a testimony against the church of Rome through all this dark time. And so there we find Edwards admitting to the antiquity of the Waldenses. Well, the next quote comes from a Lutheran historian named Johann, Johann Mosheim. Uh, Mosheim is considered to be uh, the foremost of all church historians. Uh, he was a Lutheran. He lived in the 18th century. And of course, being a Lutheran, he would be opposed to Roman Catholicism. And so Mosheim disputed many things that Rome did. For instance, the use of bishops. And he said that in the New Testament times that a bishop was not over many churches, but a bishop only had control of one church. So there wasn't anything such thing as having a bishop that controls many, many different congregations, but every church had its own pastor. Now, when he said that, that was, of course, counter to the Pope and counter to the bishops of Rome who have their hierarchy. And also, uh, the bishops of Rome control thousands upon thousands of churches. Now, this is what he had to say about the persecution of Anabaptists and the Waldenses. He said, vast numbers of these people in nearly all the countries of Europe would rather perish miserably by drowning, hanging, burning, or decapitation than renounce the opinions they had embraced. And then further, Mosheim goes on and he defends their innocence by saying, it's indeed true that many Anabaptists were put to death not as being bad citizens or injurious members of civil society, but as being incurable heretics who were condemned by old canon laws for the error of adult baptism was in that age looked upon as a horrible offense. So this is the terrible thing for which they were persecuted and killed. They baptized adults. And by that, it means not infants, but people who are 
able to make their own decision about their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that sound like us? Sounds like the same doctrine that we teach. Now, I find the next one here uh, extremely interesting. It comes from a historian from the Dutch Reformed Church. His name is Dr. J.J. Dermout. And uh, he was given a commission by the King of Holland to write a history of the Dutch Reformed Church. And as he was researching that and putting it all together, he, he investigated the claims that were being made by Dutch Baptists in the 1800s. And so in 1819, this is what he said. We have now seen that the Baptists, who were formerly called Anabaptists, were the original Waldenses, and who have long in history received the honor of that origin. On this account, the Baptists may be considered the only Christian community which has stood since the days of the apostles and as a Christian society which has preserved pure the doctrine of the gospel through the ages. The perfectly correct external and internal economy of the Baptist denomination tends to confirm the truth disputed by the Romish church that the Reformation about the 16th century was in the highest degree necessary and at the same time goes to refute the erroneous notion of the Catholics that their denomination is the most ancient. I think that's interesting that in his investigation led him to say that Baptist, and of course he's writing about the Baptists that were existent in his time in the 1800s, he said they are the only Christian community that preserved the pure doctrine of Christ through or the gospel through the ages. Well, what is it that we expect the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ to do? To preserve the pure gospel of Christ throughout the ages. Now, what he's telling us there is that Baptists, like Bereans, like here today, that we are like those Baptists that are in the 1800s and we have preserved the gospel of Christ. And that's a very strange admission for somebody to make who could have an ax to grind against us because he's not a Baptist. And I, and I don't know if you could call him an enemy of the Baptists. I don't think that he was. But it's true that our enemies in many cases have correctly recorded our doctrine and the history of our beliefs. And they have said that those are apostolic. Now, the thing that really interests me here is that when we look at Baptists of the 1800s and we look at the doctrinal link, don't you think that what we would want to do is check out our doctrine against those Baptists of the 1800s? And we're actually able to do that because that's more recent history. There are writings of what those people believe. Now, this this historian, he dates us back to the time of Christ. And he says those Baptists in the 1800s believed what those in the time of Christ believed. And so we can take our doctrine and we can check it against what those Dutch Baptists believed. And you know what we find out? We find out that what I have been teaching you The doctrines that I teach you are, first of all, found in the Bible. And secondly, they were being taught by the Baptists in that era. Now, all of that I've been teaching you about the doctrines of grace, those people believed. Now, I've already told you that back in the 18th century, uh, with the founding of America, that all of the Baptists at that time adhered to this one confession of faith. That's the Philadelphia Confession of Faith. And we take, take that and we check that against these Dutch Baptists that this man is talking about. And we find out that the doctrines are very similar, almost identical to what they believed. 
So now we've discovered that historians of that period have linked doctrines all the way back to the time of the apostles, the very same things that we're teaching in this church. Well, there's lots of other quotes that can be given, and I'm going to give you a couple or three more. Uh, The next one comes from a Methodist. This is from John Clark Ridpath, and uh, he lived in 1840 to 1900 and was a professor of history at DePaul University. So living in the mid-19th century, he wrote this very famous history of the United States. I mean, this is a common thing. You can go find it in the library. And this is what he said. He said, I should not readily admit there was a Baptist church as far back as 100 A.D., not readily admit it, but then he says, though without doubt, there were Baptists then, as all Christians then were Baptists. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? Now, here we find historians of all stripes say that Baptists throughout the ages have been here and believing the same doctrines that Christ and the apostles taught. Now, the next one, I think, is also an interesting one. Would you ever imagine that a president of the United States would have something to say about Baptist history? A president in the 20th century would have something to say about Baptist history? Well, you know that Bill Clinton was a Baptist. And, uh, well, maybe we should exclude that. We can't believe anything he says anyway. Uh, we'd spend the rest of the night trying to explain what is is if we talked about him. So we won't leave Bill Clinton out of it. Baptists have black sheep. Uh, This next quote, though, comes from W.C. King uh, in the 20th century, who we'll just call an academician. This is a man who wrote a a very important work, a book on world history that was for public instruction called Crossing the Centuries. And you can find that book today. It was used as a textbook in, in universities for years and years and years. And the presidential connection to this is that President Woodrow Wilson was one of the associate editors. Now, Wilson was a Democrat, but still a very intelligent man. Not a Baptist, but intelligent. And before he became president of the United States, he was the president of Princeton University. And this is what W.C. King wrote in this textbook with Woodrow Wilson being the associate editor. He said of the Baptists, it may be said that they were not reformers. These people, comprising bodies of Christian believers known under various names in different countries, are entirely distinct and independent of Roman and Greek churches and have an unbroken continuity of existence from the apostolic days down through the centuries. Throughout this long period, they were bitterly persecuted for heresy, driven from country to country, disenfranchised, deprived of their property, imprisoned, tortured, and slain by the thousands. Yet they swerved not from their New Testament faith, doctrine, and adherence. Didn't I say we're not Protestants and I said we're not Catholics? John MacArthur notwithstanding, we know where we came from. Jesus Christ is our founder and the apostles are part of that foundation. Now, while it's true that historians cannot make a Baptist church, and in historian's word, it's not definitive proof of a church, Couldn't we just do this? Couldn't we just trust what the Lord says? Couldn't we just believe that he said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church and be absolutely sure that he was right about that and that his church can be found? There has to be a history of it. And what we've seen here is that these historians have stumbled all over Baptist people as they look for the church in history. 
Now, they, they, uh, uh, they couldn't get around that these core doctrines were, were being held by this church, and, and it stood the test of time. And it maintained those doctrines through the help of God for hundreds of years. Now, the true church is always going to stand on the truth. And that might sound like a redundancy, but how could you ever believe that the true church could ever forget the truth? Now, the church has always stood on the truth. And we care not if there's never a historian that agreed with us. We're still going to believe what the Bible says, and we're still going to believe what Christ says. It just so happens that historians back up the history that Christ said that we would have. So what do we do with that information? Well, we take that, and we use it to help build our confidence that we're teaching the truth. If our doctrines are biblical, and they've been the same for 2,000 years then we can have confidence that we are in the true church. But I want to caution you about something, and that is we ought not to become smug about this. I mean, this doesn't mean that we're the only people that are saved. I mean, there are other people in these denominational churches that are saved because many of them do believe in justification by faith alone. And we're not doubting their salvation. We just doubt their affiliation. They don't have the information that we have. And so this has always been somewhat of a struggle for Baptist people down through the ages of how much affiliation should we have with people that are wrong about the church. Now you go back to the 19th century and you'll find many Baptists that said none, no association, that if these ministers are wrong on the doctrine of baptism, then we won't share pulpit affiliation with them because they're unbaptized people. And so they said, well, we just don't have very much to do with them. Well, that, that has always been a problem for us, and we struggle somewhat with that, with that today, somewhat with that today, how much the uh, spirit of cooperation that we ought to have with other people who believe the wrong things on other doctrines. And so what I've done is always to maintain a cordial distance from that, because no matter how you look at it, truth does not mix well with error. And when you start mixing those things together, the truth doesn't fare very well. The truth is always going to be destroyed when you mix it with error. So I maintain my distance from that. But as I say, I've got confidence in what we've learned tonight, that, that should there never be an historian that agrees with us, the Bible is still true. We believe what the Bible says, and we will always stick to those essentials that make a church a true church. And that makes us right no matter what. Now, finally, as I close the lesson tonight, I want to make a, give you another quote. This comes from C.H. Spurgeon. And Spurgeon uh, was a Baptist, a very studious Baptist, one that I think more Baptist people today should be familiar with and should read after. And you'll notice that when I put his name here, C.H. Spurgeon, Baptist, that I didn't put church after that. And that's because... The Baptists are not a denomination. There is no such thing as the Baptist church. The church is Baptistic in its doctrine. That's what the church is. So there is no really no such thing as the Baptist church. Well, Spurgeon was a very popular preacher, uh, the most prolific of all the preachers since the time of Christ. He preached to thousands of people every week. He uh, spoke to millions upon millions more through the printed word. And, and he was never ashamed to declare what he thought about being a Baptist. This is what he said. We believe that the Baptists are the original Christians. We did not commence our existence at the Reformation. 
We were reformers before Luther or Calvin were born. We line up with the apostles themselves. We have always existed from the very days of Christ, and our principles, sometimes veiled and forgotten, like a river which may travel underground for a little season, have always had honest, always had honest and holy adherence. Persecuted alike by Romanists and Protestants of almost every sect, yet there was never, yet there has never existed a government holding Baptist principles which persecuted others, nor I believe anybody a Baptist ever held it to be right to put the conscience of others under the control of man. We have never been, or we have ever, rather, been ready to suffer, as our martyrologies will prove, but we are not ready to accept any help from the state or to prostitute the purity of the bride of Christ to any allegiance with the government, and we will never make the church, although the queen, the despot over the consciences of men. We care very little for the historical church argument, but if there be anything in it at all, it ought not to be filched by the clients of Rome, but should be left to that community which all along held by one Lord, one faith, one baptism." The afflicted Anabaptists in their past history have borne such pure testimony, both to truth and freedom, that they need in nothing be ashamed. It would not be impossible to show that the first Christians who dwelt in the land were of the same faith and order as the churches now called Baptist. When they say to us, you as a denomination, what great names can you mention? What fathers can you speak of? We may reply more than any other under heaven. For we are of the old apostolic church that have never bowed to the yoke of princes, we known among men in all ages by various names, such as Donatists, Novatians, Paulicians, Petrobrusians, Cathari, Arnoldists, Hussites, Waldenses, Lollards, and Anabaptists, have always contended for the purity of the church and her distinctness and separation from human government." Our fathers were men inured to hardships and unused to ease. They present to us, their children, an unbroken line which comes legitimately from the apostles, not through the filth of Rome, not by the manipulations of prelates, but by divine life, the Spirit's anointing, the fellowship of the Son in suffering, and of the Father in truth. And so what we see with, with all of these quotes is there's ample historic evidence of the antiquity of people that are called Baptist. And so when we read in Matthew 16, 18, that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, we don't take a back seat to anybody when we read that in the Bible. Thank God we're Baptist. Aren't you glad of that? Well, next time what we're going to do, we're going to start locating this church in history. I've laid a lot of groundwork now for, for several weeks to get us to this point where we're going to start talking about the church in history. What was going on? Who are the people? What were they called? What kind of doctrines were being taught? And how did things go so terribly askew that we ended up with a Roman Catholic church that opposed the doctrines of Christ? And we're going to talk about all that as we go through it in the next few weeks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your great blessings. And Lord, we're thankful that you have revealed this truth of the church to us. And we don't, we don't deserve this because we're any special to know something different from, uh, from anyone else. We, we don't deserve that you would give this information to us. But we thank you, Lord, that you have opened our eyes to this truth. And we pray for those who don't see it. 
Uh, we thank you for everyone, no matter where they are, no matter what church that they're a member of, that they trust you and believe you as Savior. And we just pray, Lord, that you would open up their minds to the truth of who the true church is and what they ought to be a member of. So, Lord, thank you for this. Bless us. Bless your church. Help us to remain true to the truths that you have given in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church. 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.